Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee, and it ships out within hours of roasting. This guarantees that when you order, you get the freshest coffee possible available. The kicker? We donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 119. Today we're talking layering systems and new gear with Chris Derrick, Whitetail Product Line Manager at Sitka Gear. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Hope everyone is doing well out there. Happy Wednesday to all of you. Congratulations to those of you who uh, put some uh, Kings of Spring on the ground, got a little Thunder Chicken uh, in your in your back pocket. I still yet to actually put a hunt on, unfortunately. I had a, a snafu, which I kind of alluded to in the previous podcast, uh, ran into just some typical, I guess, what we would call... Um, you know, typical public land hunting where, um, was a little overrun on opening day. And then this past weekend, I had some family obligations, um, this past weekend. So wasn't able to get out into the timber, but you know, what I usually try to do is, is, is kind of front load my family obligations for the springtime. You know, whenever, you know, I like the turkey hunt. Sure. I like to be out in the timber, you know, enjoy all those things. And John and I've talked about this, I think at length in the past, but this time of year, I kind of leave it open for whenever family wants to do you know, whatever they want to do on the weekends. That way I get my weekends free come, um, come the fall when I really want to prioritize 
prioritize my hunting. So I had some friends over, fired up the smoker, uh, had a little Cinco de Mayo party, which was, uh, which was pretty good. Uh, but otherwise, man, I mean, at this time of year, you know, I start to get a little excited right around this time of year. Cause we're, I'm starting to think about, uh, the food plots I'm going to put in, I'm going to actually do soybeans this year. Um, and so getting ready to kind of prep to do that here at the end of the month. So I started thinking about that, talking to my dad about that a little bit. Um, and then I got turned on to a couple new pieces of, uh, of, of, of property that I'm going to, that I'm going to be able to hunt this year, uh, in, in the area in which I live. So the Eastern part of the state, which, uh, turns out to be a couple decent areas. Uh, so, so thanks to my buddy who, uh, who hooked me up on those, uh, or set me up with those. I'll probably have him on at some time. He's got a pretty, a pretty good knack for getting uh, permission on some private parcels and so forth. So probably have him come on and share some of his tips uh, and, and tricks to, to, to making that happen. But this time of year too, I really start to prioritize and go through, Oh, well, let me back up for a second. The other reason I'm super stoked this time of year is this past weekend, I submitted my info or did all the stuff I needed to do to get my, to put my name in the drawing for my Iowa tag. So I forget whenever I find out, I think it's June. I want to say it's June sometime when they release the, um, the, the name drawings for, uh, to know whether or not I've, I've, I've drawn. So step number one is done, which is submitting that information. And hopefully uh, here in a couple of weeks, I'll find out that I have a tag for sure for Iowa and be on my way there. So super pumped for that. But this time of year, what I really kind of do and what starts to get me stoked for, for whitetail season is I, I start to kind of go through my gear this time of year. Like I've had enough time away, I guess, from the whitetail woods to a degree um, and kind of reset a little bit, took care of some family priorities, did some stuff around the house. And then um, I start to turn my attention toward the gear that I have and what I'm going to use for, for next year and start to think about my setups and stuff like that. If you, if you followed along on Instagram at all, you've seen, you probably post some stuff about the, you know, different weight ratings and I'm not you know necessarily here to get into a debate whether, you know, saddle hunting versus stand hunting is better. I think it's, you know, whatever works for the individual person is what they should use and whatever they're most comfortable with them, you know, whatever they feel is going to help them be, be successful is what they should use. But for me, you know, you know, it's pretty clear at this point that I, I saddle hunt predominantly. Um, and so I've been kind of going through my gear this, this off season recently, thinking about how I'm going to kind of run my setup this year and, you know, changing climbing mechanism to, to steps instead of sticks, um, working with a nader and a suader so I can get plenty of height with, with about four, uh, four sticks or I'm sorry, four steps. Um, and so I kind of started, you know, going through that and pulling stuff out of my pack and thinking about, do I really need, you know, these certain elements and, um, do I need these particular, you know, this piece of gear in, in the pack or not? And is, if it's not mission critical, then I'm not necessarily taking it with me. Um, I've tried to do this in years past and I've, you know, I think John and I've even talked about this where it's like, you know, basically the week before archery season comes in, I, I dump my pack out on the floor in the basement and I basically go through it and try to decide what I can take out every year. And every year it seems that everything makes its way back in. So I thought maybe if I removed myself a little bit from the the excitement of the um, season opener or the you know beginning of archery season, and I started doing it earlier in the year, so you know around this time, you know late April, early May, I can maybe make a more of a rational decision about what needs to go in my pack and what what doesn't need to go in my pack based off of having a fresher memory of what I had taken along this past season on almost every hunt that just never got used. Um, and kind of have that more fresh in my mind to know, you know, what the criteria is to make it in my pack. And the cool thing was, is like, I was just looking to see how much weight I was cutting. I, I did a little bit of a, you know, an example. I want to say like the stand with all my gear and stuff was maybe around 35 ish pounds, 38 pounds, something like that. Um, and then the saddle one, whenever I did the weight for that one, um, and you know, pack included all my ropes and everything. It was right around 20 pounds. Um, and that includes, you know, my saddle, of course, which I'll wear. And so that won't even be in my pack, but just to kind of, you know, 
show the total weight, I, I weighed that as well, along with all the other, you know, gear I'm taking. And so in my pack, the only extra things I'm really taking this year is like an Ozonics unit, which I took last year. And then I also accounted for my, my camera and, and, a, and a small camera arm as well. And so with all that climbing mechanism, my steps, my aiders, my ropes, my carabiners, my ropeman ones, like all those things netted out to be, be about 20 pounds in total. And I can fit it all on a really small, uh, yeah, Badlands pack that I've been using. And I didn't use it last year because I was using sticks. and It was really hard to kind of attach sticks to it, made it a little cumbersome. So I ended up using a Western style pack uh, for that, which I was able to strap sticks to a little bit more. It was a little sturdier because it's a little bit more of a rigid pack, but it adds weight as well. And just the size of it in the tree was just a little more to manage than I wanted to. So I was really trying to get to a place to where I could have us go back to using a smaller pack. And I kind of got there now with the new, you know, using climbing steps. Um, so I was pretty stoked about that. But I started thinking about packs and in general, like, you know, what a, if I, if this pack's going to work for me long-term or if I should look at possibly a, a, a different pack. And I started, you know, kind of thinking about what I'd want to look at. And so I, I did start looking at some, you know, mystery ranch stuff um, because I, I am doing a Western hunt. That's the one other cool thing. My buddy, Adam Parr, I've had him on before. He's got the Transition Wild podcast. He lives out in Colorado. Um, I'm actually going to do a, an elk hunt, not this fall, but next fall. So 2020 with my dad, an archery elk hunt. He and I haven't hunted together, even whitetails or anything, probably pretty close to, to 20 years now, 18 to 20 years. Um, so we're going to go out west and do a hunt. Adam kind of helped me get set up with a place to go. And um, you know, he's pretty familiar, obviously, with, with a lot of the areas around there. And he's got a, a place for me to go that is uh, hopefully going to give us an opportunity to harvest a, a bull. And then, you know, there's also an opportunity to, to possibly harvest a, a bear as well. So I'll be doing uh, that with the uh, with, with my pops. But at, at any rate, so I was kind of looking at packs that might be able to fit the mold for both hunts. So it's something I could use out west and something I could also use whitetail hunting, but but that isn't huge. And so they have the uh, the Mystery Ranch pop-up um, uh, pop packs. They make two different versions, and I'm... I'm I'm kind of flaking right now on the on the two different sizes. I think it's an 18 and a 28 uh, liter. Um, but at any, any rate, one of those, I was looking at one of those, the smaller version, I think it's the 18. And uh, they're kind of cool because you, you can use them as like a regular day pack almost, but then they've got this feature built in where the, um, like the brace kind of pops up and it, or the frame kind of pops out of it once you unlatch it from the, I guess from the straps, kind of pull the bag back and there's a frame that you can kind of pull up and it pops up and it can turn into a frame to where you can actually pack out a quarter. I think it can carry about 90 pounds, which would be, you know, about equivalent of a quarter. Um, so that was kind of appealing to me because it could kind of kill two birds with one stone, have one pack, but it's still, it was more, you know, it's heavier than like a regular like backpack you'd maybe use for whitetail hunting. And I didn't want to get too, um, I didn't want to kind of go too heavy if I didn't have to. So then I started remembering some of the Sitka stuff I had seen while I was at ATA and they have a new Fanatic pack coming out, which is like their Fanatic gear, which is, you know, that really soft, quiet material. There's no zippers on it. Um, looked kind of cool. Um, and so I started thinking about, Hey, you know, I, I should maybe start thinking about just like my gear overall and started thinking about my layering systems as I sit in a saddle and stuff like that. Things that are going to work for me better. Maybe, um, since I have a year of saddle hunting under my belt, is there anything that I would maybe want to change? Uh, about the gear I'm using, or maybe I'd want to layer differently or whatever. Um, and I know Sitka has some new fanatic gear coming out. So I thought what better way to kind of talk layering systems, gear and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, what better way to do that than to actually bring someone from Sitka on that could talk through some of their garments. And I could talk a little bit about the Sitka pack, um, to see if that might be the right, uh, right move for me in terms of, you know, what I want to use it for in terms of saddle hunting, 
less bulk, smaller profile on the tree, uh, but still kind of gives me all the functionality that I need. So today we have a cool show. We're bringing on Chris Derrick uh, from Sitka Gear, and he is the Whitetail uh, product line manager. So everything Whitetail Gear related, this guy is the expert there. Um, wanted to also kind of talk to him about some of the science that they go into and some of the R&D that they go through to, uh, to, to, to make these products because it's not just kind of willy-nilly. Um, specifically, some of this Fanatic stuff, they did a lot of audio um, or auditory kind of research to figure out you know, how much noise does the gear they currently have make versus how much quieter can they make it and what is like this range of comfort that you have with deer and how much closer can you get them based on the noise level, you know, that they the the decrease in decibels, I guess I should say, that they're trying to shoot for. So we had a really cool conversation around all the stuff related to Sitka, the product development and the new stuff that's coming out. So uh, super stoked to bring that to you guys. But before I do that, before we kick off this episode specifically, I wanted to take a quick second to talk about some cool stuff that Exodus Outdoor Gear has going on. So they have a super awesome deal um, from from our buddies at Exodus this month. Of course, they've been in business now for four years. This is their four-year anniversary. And they wanted to, as a thank you, uh, they wanted to share some uh, some savings with everyone who listens to this podcast and to help everyone get started for this year's Velvet Fest and the upcoming season, which is of course just around the corner. We'll have some uh, we'll have some velvet pictures. So from now until May twenty eighth, you can use the code Year Four. That's Y E A R the number four, and you'll save twenty five percent on an Exodus Lift Two and the Exodus Trek. And they also have a new solar panel out that this is also this uh, discount will also apply for that. Uh, if you're not familiar with the the product line, the Lift Two provides an industry leading full HD video, and the Trek is built like a tank, and you will be ready to gather intel for years to come, all while snapping crystal clear images. Their new 12 volt uh, solar panel will work with any of the Exodus cameras and many other 12 volt trail cameras. So be sure to check that out as well. You know, over the last four years, Exodus has consistently shown they build quality trail cameras that flat out work. And of course, they have the best trail camera warranty, period. Every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with a theft and damage coverage. Yes, you heard that right, folks. Five years, literally half a decade, you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty. But more than likely, you won't need it because their cameras are already built to last. So be sure to take advantage of this savings opportunity. Use the code YEAR4. Again, that's Y-E-A-R, the number four. Uh, and you'll save 25% at checkout with uh, while supplies last at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Be sure to head over to there and give those folks some support and lock into those savings. And now without further ado, let's get Chris Derrick on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And if you guys are following along on my Instagram at all, you know that during this time of the year, I like to do a little scouting, but what I also like to do is kind of take a look at my gear and start kind of combing over it and, and make some changes and some decisions as to what I might use, get rid of, uh, or add in for this upcoming season. And that's exactly what the, the process I'm in right now. And one of the things I'm kind of looking at overall is just always, you know, the, 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 the apparel that I'm wearing and so on and so forth. So I figured instead of me talking about apparel and hunting gear, I could possibly bring on someone who is way more knowledgeable about me than this, and I brought on the Whitetail Product Line Manager for Sitka Gear, Chris Derrick. How's it going, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. So uh, how's uh, how's the West treating you, man? You're out there, and uh, I'm a little jealous, man, of all my friends who live out in the, out in Montana. I've been once, and uh, I've been wanting to get back ever since. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it is it is beautiful out here. Uh, the one thing is I did wake up to six inches of snow this morning, so <laughs> we uh, flipped open the blind, and, and it wasn't supposed to be there. My wife screamed. She said, no, and I was like, oh, God. Yeah. 
yeah. can it ever end so yeah, yeah. so there, there are you do deal with a little bit more snow up here yeah i would uh oh man yeah and i'm not a huge fan of snow i don't mind it but you guys it seems like it takes forever for you guys to get out of the out of the snow range or out of the snow belt and uh i'll send you maybe a little bit of our warm weather we've been having like 70 77 degree weather here in here in pennsylvania which is maybe a little bit unseasonably warm but uh i'll take it all day since it's not snow yeah yeah i'm looking forward to uh some sunny days so and some warm days so nice. hopefully they come they're just around the corner yeah ho- hopefully you get them soon but uh for those folks out there listening that maybe don't know i know you and i've had a chance to kind of communicate you know via via email and so forth and uh but for those out there listening that don't know who you are and what you do if you wouldn't mind just give uh a little bit of background about yourself, you know, where you're from, what you do for a living in the uh, whitetail world. Yeah. Um, so I am, I do manage the, uh, whitetail, uh, product line at Sticky gear. Um, the way that we were, were set up is we, we really have what are called product specialists inside of uh, each of the categories. Mine's whitetail. We have another person, Jim, uh, in charge of waterfowl, John, um, who works on the big game side. Uh, and then, um, uh, then we also have Dina that works on the TTW side. So each of those categories has somebody that's more of a, a specialist. Um, and that, that's more like the everyday workwear line when I was talking about with Gina. Um, I'm originally from the Southeast, uh, from the Georgia and Alabama area, um, started hunting early in my teen years. Uh, I can attribute that to a good friend of mine, uh, Matt Windsor, who, who, who kind of brought me in when I was in my preteen years and and we started uh hunting together and then it's basically been a, a lifelong passion ever since then um and 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 that's really where we got started hunting uh we used to take trips over to my uh, family property in um in alabama and and try and go there as much as we can to pursue what i would they would have been adequate deer for that area but uh um you know that's that's uh where we really um I guess started our, our, uh, hunting careers. So nice. And I, and I did do just a little bit of online stalking to learn a little bit more about you. And if I'm not mistaken, you went to Auburn, right? I did. I, I did. I went to Auburn, uh, there for uh, my undergrad and actually did a, a master there as well. Um, and then, uh, um, after that moved out West, uh, worked for a Western apparel brand and, uh, worked for a company after that called uh, pure fishing that's uh, based in South Carolina. And then, uh, through a number of years uh, working in uh, technical uh, apparel and product development, uh, wound up uh, moving to uh, Sicky Gear to uh, to work on the Whitetail line. Nice. And so, are, are you and Charles Barkley okay after the uh, after Auburn's final their their defeat in the uh, in in the March Madness? Or are you not much of a basketball fan? Oh, I got into it this year. Um, Did you? It was, uh, it's not been something uh, on an Auburn fan where. Uh, or basketball has been something we typically would uh, say would be a, a big, a big thing for us. But, uh, this, this past year has been, has been pretty spectacular, but yeah, uh, depending on where you look, if you're from Virginia, uh, we definitely committed a foul. We probably did. And then, uh, uh, but we, we say that, that, uh, that one player had double dribbled. So, um, so it just depends on, I guess, who was looking at what time, right. what your perception was of that game. So, right. It depends on what state you live in. <laughs> yeah, it right. does. Yeah, it does. But, but uh, uh, congrats to all the Virginia people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, because I mean, they had quite the turnaround from last year. It's you know between them and then I'm not much of a golf guy, but Tiger Woods winning the Masters. It's like it's kind of two pretty uh, historical, you know, uh, sporting stories the the past couple of weeks. You know, which is uh, doesn't yeah. happen all that often. 
No, absolutely. That was a that was a great tournament. So I didn't get to watch it with uh, Tiger, but that's that's awesome that he uh, that uh, that he actually won the Masters for right. that time. So that's a big deal. So if everyone listening can't tell, Sitka's going to be coming out with a golf apparel. No, I'm just kidding. Breaking news, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't think that'll be happening. right. Right. Uh, so anyway, getting back to getting back to whitetails, man. So I know you you know grew up hunting and you and you started out out early. You know, did you jump right into hunting whitetails, or did you kind of start with small game? Or I know in that in that area where you're that you know Georgia, Alabama, I think you kind of mentioned area. There's a lot of waterfowl hunting, if I'm not mistaken, that happens in that area. So how did you jump right into whitetails, or did you kind of do the graduation that a lot of folks do up to whitetails? I, I, well, I mean, I guess through the early, early young years, it was definitely hunting ball, uh, you know, small game. I mean, that's what you're running around with when you're really a young kid with a pellet gun. Yep. Uh, you're, you're basically attacking squirrels and rabbits and, and other just small game. Um, but it, once, once we got into our teenage years and we're old enough to start chasing whitetails, that's, that's really where, um, where we got into it. So my, he had a, uh, a hunting camp uh that uh was in south georgia and and we would go there um obviously would hunt does i think i spent more thanksgiving with matt's family <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh uh going dove hunting and deer hunting uh uh those those weeks every year too um so nice. uh that's that's really how i grew up and then and it's been whitetails ever since and then turkeys are obviously this time of year a big big deal for me to start chasing so i yeah. do love turkey season yeah, I always look forward to turkey season just because it's that time of year where it's not whitetail season, so I'm not as stressed out, uh, but I still get to be out mm-hmm. in the timber a little bit. But I'm self-admittedly probably the world's worst turkey hunter, and then you know my turkey hunt usually ends up in a deer scout because I give up by like noon. <laughs> and so, but which all isn't lost at that point. At least I'm putting in some work for the for the upcoming season. But so as far as like 2018, man, how was your how was your 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 year this year? Did you uh, fill some tags or what happened? Uh, yeah, I was able to, uh, fill one in Ohio. Uh, I wouldn't call it a world-class. It's not what I went there for, but, um, I was able to, to take one there. I did go to Alberta this past season. Um, that was a slower hunt for me. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, wherever I got the opportunity, I was able to take some, some deer and put something in the freezer. Um, just didn't have, uh, uh, that great of, a of a, uh, I guess if you were chasing large mature deer, um, it wasn't uh, that strong of a season for me, but uh, it was nice because my son was able to take his first animal. So he nice. turned 10 this year. Um, so I was really more or less when I was in Montana um, focused on getting him uh, engaged. And, uh, and so he was able to fill a tag both here in uh, Montana uh, on a whitetail. And then he also took uh, another one in um, Alabama on our farm uh, while we were home for, uh, um, for Thanksgiving. Nice man, congrats, dude. That's a that's a whale of a season there, man. When the kiddo puts one down, that's killer. Proud dad. Yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> nice. Of course. Heck yeah, man. So, what about uh, what about 2019? Do you have some uh, have some hunts planned? If I heard correctly through a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr. Bo Martonic, you might be headed to uh, the Keystone State this uh, this fall, if I'm not mistaken. Is that possibly in the books? That is in the books. Uh, he and I are going to go. Um, I've I've not done the uh, um, public land um, thing in uh, in PA, but uh, that is uh, what I would uh, really like to go experience this year. And Bo and I got to hang out a bit. He went with me to Alberta last mm-hmm. year, uh, which was great. And uh, um, so uh, I'll be able to go with him on that trip and actually uh, spend some time hunting up there with him. So nice. that's that was that 
that we look really really look forward to yeah you got a good partner man goes uh bo's good people and he knows how to he, he'll put you on some mountain bucks i gotta get i gotta get up there sometime i think he's in the allegheny national forest i think is where he's or state forest i forget if it's national or state but i think that's where he's at and we have a couple mutual friends that all kind of hunt that area some some really good deer in that area and, and bo seems to have it pretty dialed in i know he's uh I've seen some pictures of some monsters that he has on a, on camera there. So you'll be in you'll be in good hands. So hopefully you can re- yeah you uh, you can put a put a slob down and fill your PA tag on public land, man. Because that's a PA public land is definitely a challenge. So if you can uh, if you can get on a good one there, man, you can get on a good one just about anywhere in my book at least. But uh, yeah, absolutely. And I give him a hard time because uh, when we send stuff over there, I, I think he's got the only place more remote than Montana. It's just like out, out in the middle of nowhere. You wouldn't think that, but you would think PA would be pretty populated, but he's found one area that nobody lives in. So. Right, right, exactly. Well, I give him, I think he just deserves a hard time just in general, you know, just for the mustache, maybe more than anything. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, we give him a hard time for that one too. So that's, that's right. That's part of the fun. Yeah, he Good did. Guy, he, he did inspire me. I had a rut stash this year, which was pretty. Uh, it was pretty solid. I would send him pictures as I adapted it through the uh, through the rut, and he he appreciated my my commitment to the stash. So, hats off the bow for the stash. Um, yeah, I, I had one all pulled together for our hunt, and I came out uh, bathroom, showed my wife, and she was like, she just pointed right back, like, go shave it instantly. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I get the same thing. I'm allowed to have it for the rut, and that's and that's about it. That's that's, that's as far it. as my mustache allowance goes. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, on to uh, I do want to talk to you. We've been you know talking about some hunting stuff here and getting a little background and stuff. But I do want to talk about some gear. So you know, for all the folks out there listening, most people you know already kind of know. But I've been wearing Sitka for a handful of years, and one of the things that really attracted me to Sitka overall is there was a number of things. I mean. One was just from a hunting ethos perspective. You know, Sitka supports a lot of the the things that I support, whether it's conservation, fair chase, and, you know, running a, a stand-up company, which is one of the things I always kind of look for, making sure that the companies I support kind of fall in line with the things that I believe in. So that was the one thing that they checked the box on. But the other thing, too, was just, you know, I spent, as a lot of folks do, as I was growing up, as a kid, just kind of wearing whatever was was around. And look, you know, you can kill deer in, in anything. And I'm not saying, you know, my grandfather couldn't in whatever he was wearing. But, you know, I started looking at gear a little bit differently as I was getting ready to go out west to hunt, number one. And then number two is I was looking to do more travel hunts, even whenever I was in Pennsylvania, on public lands where I might go stay for, you know, an extended period of time. And, and gear failure just wasn't an option because going back to the house to dry off or whatever wasn't going to really be an option in those cases. So, you know, as I was doing my vetting, like that's kind of how Sitka stood out to me. And part of it was just like the process that they, that, you know, you all go through in developing garments. So, you know, your gear is one of the pieces of, you know, a a part of any hunt, you know, you know, particularly, I guess, travel hunts that if you don't have the right system or if your gear is inadequate, it can absolutely ruin a hunt quicker than almost anything. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the science that you, that goes into Sitka gear in general, like from the fabrics to the, to the overall design. So can you, I guess you start at like the 30,000 foot view and give us a sense of like the background you guys, you know, kind of go through from a scientific perspective to develop a garment. Yeah. uh, The fit for use application is really important. I mean, the whole reason we have, um, product specialist in each one of our categories is because it, we won't just take a big game piece or a waterfowl piece and then apply it to the white tail line. Um, because, um, uh, first of all, it, it probably won't function to the, to the, um, expected, uh, requirements of the, of the end user, you know, like we're waterfowl, 
you know, you're thinking about like waterproofness and durability, all those are, are really important. Whereas, whereas quiet maybe becomes a, a bigger importance inside of, of whitetail and you're sitting and you're looking at from, you, you're going to be having an aerobic situation where you're, you're moving into a stand location, but then you're going to go into a static sit. And so every garment that we developed is really to optimize the user's comfort for the style of hunting that they're doing. Um, so from the material choices we're making, um, we're, we're making sure that we're using top of the line um, uh, choices like uh, Prima Loft, if we're going to be using uh, what they're going through, making sure that we're selecting the right type of insulation in line, or if we're using a Gore-Tex garment, um, you know, we have an application engineer that we work with at Gore-Tex that actually helps us figure out what the right type of Gore-Tex that we're going to need to add into our line. Um, so that could be anything from a, from a windstopper to, to like a Gore-Tex waterproof piece. Um, and one of the big assets that we have um, here as being uh, partnered or, or owned by Gore-Tex is that uh, we, we utilize their um, comfort chamber. Um, so that's one of the areas that we can go in and make sure that they have a whole team that's uh, built around comfort um, and, and, and user comfort. And so we can go into uh, the comfort lab. It can go down to negative 50 degrees Celsius or plus, plus 50 degrees Celsius. You can add uh, 10 meters per second wind. Uh, you, can, you can make the sun rise and then go over the top of the sky and set. I mean, there's lots of things that you can do inside of that comfort chamber. Um, and so we can really make sure that, uh, that we, we can recreate a lot of the field uh, experiences that, that you might create inside of that comfort lab. Right. So as far as like, you know, to me, I think you hit the nail on the head for, you know, at least a white tail hunter. It's like, I might be hiking in a distance or whatever the case is, you know, and then getting into, a, and then getting in, climbing into a tree essentially. Right. So you're doing some, there's some exertion, you know, physical, you know, activity that's, that's involved there. And I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of whitetail hunters, at least folks who are, you know, it's just say public land, for example, I've made plenty of long hikes on, on private on some large pieces, but just we'll use public as an example. You know, I think one of the things that's most challenging is just trying to regulate temperature, right? And I, even out West, you know, whenever I was hunting out West, cause it's a lot of, you know, stalking, stalking, then you might sit in glass for a while. Right. Um, but from, you know, I guess we can keep this more in the whitetail perspective, um, you know, what, what is it about your garments that allows for that temperature regulation? Is it, you know, I guess, let me ask it this way. What's the most important component of regulating temperature in a garment? Is it its ability to, you know, moist, uh, wick away moisture or is it its ability to retain, you know, body heat? What, you know, what is the most important part of that? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, I don't know if you could say any one more piece, because it really depends on the situation. But mm -hmm. part of it is the responsibility of the hunter to be able to build the right system mm -hmm. for what they're doing. Um, so that's really key. I think the number one piece that you need to set is a strong foundation, uh, and that's really at your base layers. Um, so whether or not that's synthetic or that's wool, uh, depending on how what type of approach. Like if you're doing like a, a long hike in, you're going to be getting really sweaty. I probably would not go the wool route. 
mm-hmm. um, for example, because unless you're going to be out there for multiple days uh, in a row. Um, but uh, so in that case, I might go to, to like doing a lightweight synthetic layer or a midweight synthetic layer, um, depending on what the temperature range is. But you really want to be able to move moisture away from your body. And um, that's where that, that base layer uh, comes in because you'll, I'll run into people a lot of times that just, um, and it's, it's, it's nothing against what they're doing. They just, they don't know um, that, you know, for example, if you just throw on uh, a stratus over a pair of blue jeans or under a, over a cotton piece um, and, and you start to sweat some, you're probably not going to have a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it will move moisture better, but cotton holds on uh, to, 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 to that moisture. So that's why I say setting your foundation is no matter what you do, uh, elsewhere, uh, with your insulation or your outerwear pieces, if you, if you set the wrong foundation and you don't do that properly, um, you probably won't be as comfortable as you could be because you can get, I I know being low profile is really important for you. Mm -hmm. Um, that's another thing that you, you can wear a lot less or, or a lot fewer, I guess, as far as like from a bulkiness standpoint, you can, you can have less bulk, um, and be just as warm. I mean, I, I talk a lot about like, I can look back. So when I was 18 wearing cotton coveralls, yep. um, and looking like the stay puff marshmallow man, <laughs> yeah, it was still cold just, and freezing. Yeah. Still <laughs> shivering. And now like I can go to Alberta and it can be negative 15 and I'm comfortable. Like I'm, seriously comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and other than maybe on my face or my hands, if I pull them off and take them off the heat, um, you know, that I'm, I, I can be really comfortable and that's all in the way that I build my systems. And it's taken some trial and error to figure out, uh, what's right and, and how to do that. But, uh, you know, for the most part, there's, those are, that's a fundamental principle of, of, uh, of staying warm in the field. Yeah. I think that that's one of the misconceptions folks have is that if it's going to be cold, they put more on. I think you hit the nail on the head where it's not necessarily put more on. It's put, put the right stuff on. Um, you know, and you know, I, I've learned some hard lessons, uh, <laughs> that way and not wearing the, not wearing the, the, the right things. Um, you know, one of them was, you know, whenever I was in, you know, and this again is not white tail, but you know, it was the experience that I had that was less than optimal, but I was wearing wool while I was out West, um, and was doing a lot of hiking, of course, and getting sweaty. And I was out there for several days, but I had a base camp. So I had the ability to come back and kind of dry out and change clothes and stuff like that. I did fortunately have a a set of synthetic base layers too, that I ended up switching to and learn pretty quickly (laughs) through the one day experience of like, yeah, on the on the warmer days, the 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 wool the wool pieces might need to stay in the uh, at, at camp, and the synthetics might be might might need to be broken out. But you know, you talked a little bit about your R and D, you know, with the um, the comfort chamber. I think you mentioned, which is just mind blowing to me. That's crazy that that you know you can simulate all that type of you know experience. But I want to talk to you or just ask, you know, when you guys are going to get ready to create a, a new line or a new garment or you know, how does that kind of come about? Like, is it, is it something that you hear from the market, like the market saying that, Hey, there's this thing that we really would like to have, you know, the market's evolving or whatever the, or whatever the case is, or do you guys more have like an internal process that you use to kind of always kind of stay ahead of where the, where, you know, people's needs, I guess. I mean, it could come from multiple uh, different areas. I mean, we could look, um, 
into another industry um, for ideas. Uh, we could hear feedback from customer service. I could be at a trade show. Somebody could be talking to me. Uh, we have a network of trusted uh, field testers that uh, come back to me with information. Um, there's all sorts of, of, of ways that you can get the, the insights from, um, from people what needs to happen. But sometimes uh, people don't, uh, you know, not everybody knows exactly what they're looking for. So okay. if you always say, it, you can't, you, it's not like, hey, build me this exact piece. Um, you, you know, you have to look at the problems and then figure out the best solution for that. And, and so that's really what we're trying to address. Right. I think um, when, we, when we talk about developing new products. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I've always appreciated about, uh, the, I guess, the technical aspect of, of your gear, and it, I might even be going to like an understated, I guess, feature, but it's the pocket placement. Like that's one of the things that I've kind of felt was like the biggest change for me from a whitetail perspective when I started wearing the Sitka garments was that the pockets all kind of se- seemed to be where I needed them to be. Um, as a, mm-hmm. as a, you know, a, a dude that hunts from a tree, whether I'm in a stand or I'm in a saddle or whatever the case is. Um, and can you, I guess you talk to me a little bit about how you guys kind of come up with where those placements are and, and, and stuff like that. Is this, is this something that you guys are out in the field and you're like, Hmm, man, I really wish I had a, had a pocket for my range finder in my chest. And then, and then someone sews one up as like a prototype and then you kind of give it a whirl. Yeah. It, sometimes it's, it's out there and, and, we'll hear about the challenge or we'll be a part of the challenge. We'll say, Hey, this would be a lot better. And we'll, we'll, uh, ideate, I guess, uh, if you want to put it that way, ideas, sometimes it'll just be, I'll be sitting in a tree stand and someone like you or Bo or, or somebody else that's a, a field tester, for example, might send me a text, uh, that's saying, Hey, I thought this might be a good idea. We might explore that. Um, those are all ways that we could go about uh, doing that. But the, the thing is just fine tuning them. Um, so making sure like one of the changes on the fanatic this year is I just, I, I updated just where the rangefinder sits and the way that it sat in a pocket, just because I thought it'd be a little bit easier to access, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit less, uh, in the way of people, um, at least from a perception uh, standpoint when they're shooting a bow. Um, so all of those changes are, are things that we change just to try and tweak, mm-hmm. um, and, and learn and constantly make the products that's a little bit better. Uh, that's, that's one thing that we're constantly striving to do is like, if we can just tweak this and make this little change over time when we redesign something, I, that's, that's, uh, something that we're just trying to do and, and constantly learning, um, from both our own experiences and then from other people that are out in the field using it. Right. Cause it's another, it's another deal. I designed it and I know how to use it, but you know, a lot of times I'll just go and sit above people and then watch them interact hmm. with, uh, with the product. And that's, that's an interesting way to, to give somebody something new and then try and watch them figure it out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really, I mean, it's a very big brother, but it's kind of cool. Like I would love to sit in a tree stand or, you know, up above someone and, and watch kind of how they interact with their, with their gear. You know I mean? I think you could probably learn a lot of, uh, just, I mean, I think that'd be incredibly insightful just to kind of see like the struggles they have, the challenges that they have and, um, I mean, I bet you that's probably one of the best ways. Cause I think you're right. I think a lot of times, you know, coming from, you know, a guy who works in marketing as well, um, you know, a lot of times consumers, you know, if they know what they want, they sometimes struggle to communicate exactly what it is that they're, that they're looking for. And sometimes we don't always know, and I'll lump myself into this, that we don't always know, you know, what we want until we have it. 
type of thing. You know what I mean? Like when I see it, I know what it is, but I can't tell you what it is <laughs> type of thing, which is, you know, where it makes, you know, someone like you's job incredibly challenging to kind of have that pulse of not just the, the garment industry and where, where things are heading and where the trends are heading and stuff like that, but also what is actually going to be functional and be useful for people whenever they maybe aren't able to articulate it themselves. Um, so part mind reader, part garment maker, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's one of, you know, one of the fun parts about this is, is just, and then also people have also, they'll help you, uh, cause I'm not an expert on every area of hunting. I mean, it's way too broad, right. uh, especially even in whitetail. So, you know, that's why, uh, I'll go out and hunt with somebody that hunts from a different area. Um, because there's, there's people that, uh, they're experts in their field, especially in, in targeting the way that they hunt. So uh, it's really great to, to be able to pull insights from others. Um, I won't say that every idea that comes is is, is going to be is mine. A lot of those come from other people. Right. Uh, and then it's more or less just helping uh, to, sh- to shape the vision of what you're looking for in a new piece of gear. But the important thing is we don't want to put anything out um, that uh, is not uh, – uh, exceeding or at least meeting expectations of, of what, uh, the hunters are looking for. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's always thoughtful, you know, every piece I've ever picked up, it's like, you can tell that there was the way it was designed was, was thoughtful for sure. But you started alluding a little bit to the fanatic line and I was, it was at ATA and had a chance to kind of check out some of the new stuff you guys haven't have coming out. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, I guess confirm one, I think we have some pieces that might be coming out late spring, or early summer, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and if, and if so, you know, what can people expect to see with that, uh, with the new fanatic stuff? Yeah. So, uh, we had the, uh, the original fanatic line, which is, uh, it, the fanatic, uh, line is essentially, it's a, it's a, it's wind stopper. So it's basically going to give you wind protection with a lofted premium loft insulation, um, and it, it's, uh, it's always been in a bird reconstruction for the outerwear piece. So, um, you know, in order to trying to make it quieter, um, but there's some aspects of that, uh, that, you know, just over time over people using it, you know, we try not just sit back. It's one of those pieces that, you know, if we had just sat back and said, Hey, that's good enough. There's nothing else like it. Um, it, maybe that would have been fine, but, uh, part of what I wanted to do is figure out ways to make it better. So, uh, what we really set out was like, what can we do to make that even quieter? Um, so that's really where, where it started. Um, and so, uh, what we, we did is we used this, this textile machine that we have at Gore. It's called the Gore noise analyzer. It basically kind of, if you were to pump your hand or, or your fist or something along those lines, and you know, how your elbows moving around, it essentially moves that, that piece of fabric in, in a constant same motion, and it picks up two pieces of, of, of two typical noises that Garmin makes. One's buckle. Mm-hmm. You ever take a rain jacket and you hear the popping yep. uh, sound that you can hear? That's called buckle, and that happens at about 125 hertz. And then there's rustle, and just take your hand and rub it on your shirt, for example, or rub two pieces or your sleeves together. And that sound you hear is called rustle, and that happens about 3,100 hertz. So we were able to pinpoint those two key noises that a garment makes and isolate those. And, and then um, and we can take different textile packages or different face textiles or insulations or backers, and we can put it inside of there. And rather than me having to build a whole garment out of that, uh, out of that textile, 
I can go through and build the sleeve and figure out what's going to make it actually quieter before I go into the next stage of building the, um, the actual jacket. So we went through that process. We even looked at different types of insulation. So, you know, we, we found our old insulation that we were using for Primaloft uh, um, was, uh, was not as quiet as this new, what, what's essentially is a V-lap insulation that looks like, if you looked at a cross-section of it, it looks like a V lapping mm-hmm. over. That's kind of how it got its name. And that insulation was about two phones quieter and a phone and a decibel are about the same hmm. at about a thousand, uh, uh, thousand Hertz. So they're basically one, one for one. Um, and so essentially what we were able to do is, um, uh, is be able to isolate and even say, Hey, if we change this textile package, we get these benefits from a comfort standpoint, but we also make the garment quieter just by changing the insulation package. So that's the level of detail we were able to go through. Uh, and then, so we worked with a, a gentleman at Montana State University. His name's James Black. He's an acoustical engineer. Uh, his his process in this as, as consulting with us was to help us interpret how sound reacts in different environments. And then we have, you know, our internal resources, uh, a gentleman by the name of Scott Timms and Alex Carajales that were, um, working with us on from the comfort team on the development of that, and then we were able to partner with another gentleman called Carl, Dr. Carl Miller, out of University of Georgia, and he's been studying deer for 40 years. Hmm. Um, so we were able to overlay with how deer interpret that noise and what they can hear um, by using some published studies that were out there with uh, how James uh, with. Uh, taught us how uh, sound acts in those environments. Uh, and, and basically we were able to determine that we were able to half the audible engagement distance. So that means if you made a noise in the old fanatic, uh, that maybe they could hear 40 or maybe 50 yards, they would come be, have to be at least 25 yards and probably even less than that. We were very conservative with those numbers, Hmm. um, to be able to hear you in the new fanatic. Wow. That's, uh, that's a long ways away from uh, from my old cotton overhauls whenever I was twelve. <laughs> you know what I mean? As far as like the the science and everything that's going that's going into, I mean, it's incredible the the amount of detail that you guys go through to to reduce to de- reduce noise and put out a product that's going to be you know top notch. I just are, is there are there specific frequencies? Have you learned are there specific frequencies that you guys try to like absolutely? I should I won't ask it this way because this might be sensitive information but in talking with the, the the folks who are working with deer through research and stuff like that are there certain frequencies that deer pick up more quickly than other frequencies yeah it's it's essentially it's not it's not uh um proprietary information i mean that mm-hmm. there's public studies if you know where to get them but uh the they shift about two octaves higher than we do mm-hmm. um so they essentially overlay in the same kind of they call it like the two to eight thousand but they they can hear out into higher frequencies than we we can, but they can't hear or we don't think it would have to be a louder noise for them at the lower octaves maybe to be able to hear. Um, and there are better people explaining why that is. It has to do with the ear shape. It has to do with um, you know just overall uh, the design of their overall ear. Mm-hmm. But um, that's why we, that rustle noise that we talked about is really the key noise that we we keyed in on. Um, whereas the buckle noise maybe isn't as big of a, uh, as, as a factor. 
uh, you know, it's right, it's right inside of our uh, key area, but maybe, uh, maybe it is thought to maybe not be inside of the deer, the uh, deer, a whitetail's key area. Hmm. Um, but the Russell is right in both of our sweet spots. Right. It's, that's interesting. It's like, I love to talk to someone about that just because it's like, as I'm thinking, it's like, you know, evolution is kind of like the, 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 um, master innovator. And it's like, I would probably think, and I'm, I'm just making this up, I'm not asking you to validate either. Cause I don't know that either of us necessarily know the specific answer, but I would think that it probably has to do with like that rustling sound probably is similar to, or is in the same frequency range that maybe something moving through the timber or whatever, from a, a predator perspective to that, that they would want to be able to key in on from a survival kind of perspective. And then maybe those higher frequencies are, are, you know, those small like rustling of leaves, noises and stuff like that, that are related to, to movement in their environment. That, that would be like my shot in the dark. What do you think? Think, I'm, think uh, any validity there? It's a good theory. I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to say whether or not, uh, what the, uh, root, root, uh, reason for them developing that ability, uh, Carl could probably give you a, a theory on it um, right. uh, and would be better apt to be able to do that. But I, I do, I do, and I have wondered the same thing. If you, if you hear the rustling of leaves, um, for example, you know, where that sits in, in right. the, uh, uh, in the overall octave, uh, I guess, or in, and in, in what hurts those are. So, right. um, but that, it is a good theory. I, um, and it would be interesting to ask Carl that. Yeah. We might have to have Carl on to see if I'm just, making stuff up or if I have like two cents rolling around, but, uh, it's, <laughs> what, uh, you know, these updates, what, what garments in the, the fanatic line are you guys, is it, is it only in the fanatic line? And if so, which garments is, uh, are, are, you know, going to be new for this year? And then if it's in other lines, or do you know if it'll also be in other lines? And if so, what are those? Yeah. So, uh, in the whitetail line, it's the fanatic, which is the fanatic jacket. Um, there's a right and a left hand model. So mm. if you're lefty archer or lefty, um, uh, if you're left eye dominant, dominant and shoot a, like a, a muzzleloader or a firearm that way too, it's actually set up for a left, uh, left hander. So all you lefties out there, there is a jacket that's going to actually be built for you this year. Everything's reversed. Nice. Um, for the most part, uh, for a left eye dominant person. Um, and then, uh, um, so on that jacket, for example, on your, um, grip arm, if you're shooting a bow, um, on that hand, that's gripping the bow, uh, like for a righty, the left sleeve has no burber facing to the inside of the string to reduce the likelihood of uh, string interference, which is pretty important, um, on your trigger arm. So when you're pulling back at full draw, for example, there's no Berber inside of the bulk of your elbow, uh, or if you're shooting a firearm, there's, you know, when you're, when you're sitting back and your arms pulled into that position. Um, and then also the hemline, for example, doesn't pick up burrs as easily because it uses a smooth textile. Um, we now added for, uh, because of the reverse cross zip zipper, um, we added a magnet to hold that back in place. So you don't have to tuck it under when you got your jacket partway open anymore. Um, and people often ask why that zipper is that way on the fanatic. It runs from your side mm -hmm. up across your chest and then finishes on the other side of your face. And the reason that's in there is it actually builds a hand buff into the jacket. Mm -hmm. So now you don't, you, your hand must actually built into your jacket, keep you a little bit lower profile. That way you don't have to carry separate muff. Um, and there's like a little hand warmer, uh, mesh pocket in the side there for holding your uh, chemical hand warmers now. 
And then one of my favorite features on the jacket this year too, is the constant connect safety harness port. So now, you know, typically you would have to throw your lineman's rope back around the tree, disconnect from the tree, run that through the harness port in your jacket to reconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think a lot of people maybe cut that corner. Uh, although they shouldn't, you should never disconnect yourself from the tree stand. Uh, the back of the jacket collar, uh, now has a patent, uh, patent bending design that basically, uh, disconnects through a slide to lock snap. Uh, and then you can snap it around the tether and you, you never disconnect from the tree. So I can, I can layer way faster and, and a lot quieter than I used to as well. And then, uh, we'll also be updating the bib, uh, which now has a burr resistant textile, uh, way quieter zippers for venting. So we even, we even tried to use quieter zippers. Uh, we did not that we tried, we actually did use quieter zippers. Um, and so you'll see uh, a burr resistant design on the lower body. Uh, we're, we're, um, we're not using Berber and then, uh, the vest is done as well. And then the last thing is the fanatic line is the fanatic pack and that design, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about working with outside, uh, cons- you know, people that are, are trusted resources. I worked with a gentleman by the name of Jim Hole Jr. based out of Alberta. I nicknamed him the silent fanatic. <laughs> um, and essentially he would use like a Berber knapsack uh, a, a pack is what he would use. Uh, that was all designed about ultra quiet. So we outlined everything that we would need uh, in our packs. And it's about 2,100 cubic inches. So uh, it stuffs everything you need in there. But there's no plastic parts, no... Um, uh, loose dangling buckles or anything like that's going to make noise on it. Like everything on this pack was designed for silence. Nice. Yeah. That's actually, it's almost like, like, like we're professionals at this because it leads me into my very next question. So thank you for the uh, transition. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> so uh, I've been kind of looking at packs, right? And actually I was trading a, an email back and forth with Eric uh, uh, about packs and, you know, as you'd mentioned earlier, I'm always looking to be as bulk free as possible, as slim of profile as I can possibly get, as light as I can possibly be, as quiet as I can possibly be. But I do tend to carry some stuff to the tree to to the tree with me, you know, whether it's you know a Zonix unit or you know extra you know gear, another you know jacket or whatever the case is, right? Um, and so I'm kind of torn between the fanatic pack and the tool bucket that you guys have, mm-hmm. and I want to just get a sense from you, you know for a person whose goal is what I just kind of laid out, you know, what are the features and benefits of either or that you think might fit what I'm looking to do or how I'm looking to use it the best? Yeah. Uh, the main thing I would say is uh, ask yourself a couple of questions. Uh, how important is quiet to you? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if acceptably quiet is okay, then, um, then uh, toolbox uh, is, maybe is the way to go. If you're, if you're somebody that's just willing to, hunt and, uh, uh, you know, you just, you're all about being as stealthy as you can, then the fanatic pack might be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those, they're, they're both set up on, on essentially a bucket style design. Um, but, uh, the, the one thing is if you're hunting in rain, uh, I don't know how that important is. Are you hunting in really wet conditions? Uh, then I would tend to go, uh, with the, uh, tool, um, box, uh, pack instead. So those are really the, the, the two key criteria that I would say are, are more important, um, and, and should drive your decision. 
right. um, because they're essentially both they have a top lid design. They maybe are slightly different once the and the Fanatic is a quick draw design. Um, but if you if you really want to just be as quiet as you can, nothing to make noise uh, when you're up in the tree stand. That's that's really what the Fanatic pack is all about. Cool. Is there one that you would that you think would carry gear, um, you know, attached to the outside of it better than the other? So, say for example, I was going to strap like climbing sticks or something to the outside of the outside of the pack. Is there one that would stand up to that kind of use better than the other one? Yeah, if you were doing climbing sticks to the outside of the pack, I would I would go. Or if you're if you're doing, I would go with something like the tool bucket mm-hmm. that is designed to carry a tree stand. Um, the Fanatic pack will actually carry your bow or or a weapon like mm-hmm. a muzzleloader on the back really well. It's actually designed to do that. Okay. Uh, it's an unstructured pack by design um, that uh, that essentially has what's uh, there's a there's a hidden tether that comes around and basically shifts the weight of of your bow or of your firearm towards the top uh, and just changes the way that it carries the load. Mm-hmm. So that pack has no structure in it, but it carries a bow really well on the back. Um, but if you're carrying climbing sticks in, I'm assuming either you're carrying them in because you've left your tree stand up or you're carrying a tree stand with it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, and that way I would go something like the tool bucket that carries a tree stand. Right. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I wanted to, I knew while I had you, I was like, I need to ask this question selfishly as like, cause I've been kind of looking at, at both because, you know, I'll, I'll wear a, you know, as you and I were talking before, it's like, I'll wear a saddle in, but I'm still carrying like my climbing mechanism with me. You know what I mean? And so I still yeah. getting my sticks in with me somehow. And so I was looking at the Fanatic pack at ATA, and it's, I mean, that pack is sweet. And, but, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with like the, the idea around it. It's not, um, it's an unstructured pack purposefully. And that was one of the things. And I did see that I had the ability to carry a weapon. And I was like, man, maybe I can use that to kind of carry my sticks. So, because quiet is important to me. But, yeah, um, I think if all your, I mean, most of the sticks you have will click together. Yeah. Um, I would have to go through, I can't say, because I haven't done that myself, and before I would recommend that you do that, um, I'm, I'll probably grab a set mm-hmm. or two of the different various sticks I have and run them back. If they're if they're held together um, securely, I would think that you would be able to do that. Right. Um, if you're just setting sticks for the fact that you're running up, you're running sticks, and you're running your saddle, correct? Right. Yep. And that's how you're getting up. Yep. Um, so in that case, you may very well, depending on which the brand of sticks that you carry and how secure they are together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think you'd be able to run that design through uh, and find a way to carry them on the back of that pack. Yeah. So what I was kind of thinking as I was, uh, as I was looking yeah. to it, but I know that we, I know you have a hard stop here in, in, in a few minutes and I want to get to this last question here before I, before I let you get going. So again, on the idea of like wanting to cut bulk and have as slim a profile as possible, I wanted to kind of talk through the, you know, the different seasons. So we'll just say, you know, you know, early season, mid season and late season and have you kind of help me go through and figure out what the best kind of layering system would be for each one of those and what you would recommend, um, from the, from the various Sitka lines that are available. So let's start with, you know, early season. If I were going to build an early season system and I wanted to be light, not too hot, um, I'm hunting whitetails probably in a swamp. Um, you know, what would be your go-to system for that? Uh, I, that's where the ESW comes in just cause it's, I mean, it's designed as early season whitetail. That's the, how I got the acronym. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's going to consist of your, uh, lightweight ESW top, 
uh, ESW pant with a lot of mesh in it, super lightweight gloves, super lightweight hat. You can wear the face mask with it uh, to help keep mosquitoes off the face. Um, uh, and I really think, especially if you're hunting in the swamp, for example, that one's going to come into play. Um, uh, depending on where you are, if you're up in the Midwest, uh, maybe in your season starting where it's a little bit cooler, um, even though it's, you know, you're not going to have that many days in the eighties, maybe the equinox system is where you're going to go. So it really depends on your region and how hot it is and how early, like you're looking at like South Carolina, for example, they're their gun season in certain counties comes in on August 15th. Right. Um, you know, and Florida, you know, down with the Seminole deer where we tested some of the, the gear that went along with that. I mean, their, their rut starts in July and runs through August. And right. so their season starts in July. So it really depends on where you're, you're sitting. If you're, if you're in a, a state where your, your season's not going to start until, um, you know, maybe October, uh, or later, uh, then, then maybe, uh, that's, or you, or you're not typically hunting the archery seasons, mm-hmm. then maybe you start in the equinox system. Yeah. And I'm thinking for me, equinox is probably the, probably where it's at because PA season comes in mid September. So evenings are cooler days can be warmer, but it's not, uh, oppressively hot in the, during those sits. Um, so let's move to the pre-rut and rut kind of time period. So we're talking like, you know, mid to later October through, you know, the first week or two of November. Um, what system are you going to for that? Uh, I start to get into the stratus. Um, so I, I, again, I can get really down here, at least where I am here into the twenties very easily, uh, with, with a stratus system. So if you got really cool morning, um, you know, I might wear the stratus pant or the stratus bib. The nice thing about the bib is you can vent it mm-hmm. uh, on the sides. Um, and then, you know, early in the season when it's, you know, I'll just be wearing my Equinox under that. Or or if you've got ESW, maybe you're wearing it under that. And as it gets cool, you add the Stratus on top. Uh, and then later on, as it starts to cool more, add some insulation under the Stratus, like the Celsius Midi, or you take your core heavyweight item, your heavyweight items, like your heavyweight base layers. You know, you might wear a core lightweight bottom and then a heavyweight um, bottom base layer to add the insulation. And then, you know, for your top, you can add like a midi jacket, uh, the Celsius midi jacket under your Stratus. And you can go pretty deep into the season right. uh, with that, depending on your your level of comfort. Right. And i tell you what, man, I do love like one of my favorite or, uh, garments is actually my stratus pants like those things actually i yeah. get so much use out of those things because i'll start wearing those in mid-october and there's even times where those will actually work for me during late season depending on how cold it is so now let's move on to late season so temps have dropped pretty significantly what are you uh what are you reaching for then uh so when it's late season i'm you know you're hunting food sources things like that uh uh that's where the um fanatic um, or the incinerator comes in, depending on what you're looking for. So, the, you know, if, you, if you've if gone beyond where your comfort level gets, you know, some guys can do the stratus all season. Um, but if you if you get into where you're looking for something that's ultra cold weather, uh, the Fanatic uh, will, will be able to help you with that. That's all about being quiet. It's Berber, um, Windstopper. Uh, so all of those, those type of features that you would need. Um, and... Uh, and then the other system, if you're looking more for a Gore-Tex, so let's talk about like wet snow mm-hmm. uh, or 
misleading rain. Like a lot of people don't, you wouldn't think you could wear the uh, incinerator in the South, but for example, like that's cold is relative. I always say, so a guy from Florida, he feels 30 or 40 degrees that, that is really cold to him. Uh, But then, you know, there's guys in, you know, Iowa who are wearing shorts, you know, when it's, (laughs) you know, 40. So the cold is relative, I've always said, and and your humidity level of where you are. But the incinerator is great for like a wet cold. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's Gore-Tex on the outside. uh, So so basically water is not going to penetrate inside of there. So if you're in wet sleeting rain, uh, if you're in uh, wet snow conditions, um, the incinerator is where you'll need to go. Um, But, you know, people just need to know that when you're going to those items, uh, also – uh, part of what you want to do is maybe pack in your insulation. Mm-hmm. So don't go walking 300 yards to your stand fully dressed in your incinerator or your fanatic. Uh, you'll spontaneously combust because they're, they're designed for <laughs> keeping you keeping you extra warm. So I would say, you know, just learn to layer. I'll go in in those really cold conditions. It might be 15 degrees outside, but I'll go in with just a bib the sides unzipped on my fanatic, for example. And then I've got like a lightweight base layer in my fanatic hoodie on, for example, and I'll walk in with that. And then when I get up in my stand and I start to cool down, I'll start adding my insulation layers. Yeah. I I do the same thing a lot of times. And I, I I wear the uh, fanatic, uh, get up in the, in the late season. That's exactly how I go to my trees nearly naked. And then when I get there, I put my, I put my clothes on, but I do want to be sensitive to your, uh, to your time. Uh, you've, you've passed the test. You've answered all the, all the tough questions. So, so thank you for that. But before I, uh, let you get going, if you wouldn't mind, um, let folks out there know where they can find out more, uh, information about you, uh, more information about Sitka. Well, uh, for, um, for Sitka gear, I would uh, say go to the website, uh, gear.com. Uh, they've got, we've got great information on the products that were on the website, um, you can call our customer service team if you have any questions. Uh, they're great. Every one of the people that uh, works in that department, uh, they all hunt. They will all answer your questions. No question is too dumb. Um, they they will teach you how to build a system. Um, I, w- I would just say everybody in there is absolutely wonderful to work with. So uh, don't be don't be shy about giving them a call or shooting them an email and asking them a question. Also good to do that before the beginning of the season uh, when everybody else is calling as well. So uh, think ahead. Nice. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And then when can we expect the Fanatic stuff to, to, to hit the market? Do you have a, a in-market date yet? The new Fanatic yeah, stuff? So the, the new Fanatic should start being available uh, sometime in July mm-hmm. uh, is when uh, we'll hit stores. Um, so if you uh, want to make sure you can get your hands on it um, before in case there's any out of stock situations, uh, um, you know, that's where it is at the beginning of the season. Um, and so you'll, you'll be able to start finding it. Most of your retailers around July and early August. Yeah. And then, uh, just a tip for all folks out there listening, get on the email list that you usually know a little bit in advance of when it's going to be available <laughs> online at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Yeah, definitely go to Sitka and sign up for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, cool, man. I'll uh, I want to be sensitive to your time, so I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, let you get going and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Chris for joining. Be sure to be on the lookout for the new Sitka Gear pieces coming out this summer and head over to SitkaGear.com and join their mailing list. 
This will allow you to be the first to know when these new pieces are available for purchase. We'd of course like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. I ain't welcome anymore. Coming if it all It takes a special knowing to call a All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.